Chris Miles was able to retire twice by the time he was 39 years old. But he's not content to just enjoy his own financial freedom and peace of mind. Chris wants you to have your own ripple effect so you can live free today. He's not the financial advisor you expected. He's the anti-financial advisor you deserve. He's jumping behind the mic right now, ready to make waves. Here's Chris Miles. Hello, my fellow Ripplers. This is Chris Miles, your cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. Welcome to our show that's for you. Those of you that work so hard for your money, and you want your money to start working harder for you right now. You want that freedom and cash flow today, not 30 or 40 years from now, but right now, so you can live that life that you love with those that you love. But most importantly, guys, it's not just about getting rich, it's about living a rich life. Because as you are blessed financially, you have greater capacity to bless the lives of others. And that's exactly what we're here to show you guys today. Uh, so grateful to have you on. Thank you for tuning in. You're binging, you've been sharing with others. And I cannot appreciate any more how much uh, you guys really do and uh, making the show amazing. So thank you for tuning in. As a reminder, if you guys are looking for other ways to create passive income, or you're looking for ways to deepen that understanding, go to our website, moneyripples.com, check out the passive income calculator to see how much passive income you can create in the next 12 months. So check that out now. Hey, how amazing would it be if you could create monthly cash flow, passive income from making at least double digit returns on your money? And get this, it's only $1,000 or more that you need to invest. Guys, that's exactly what Secured Investment Corp does. They actually do short-term lending to real estate investors that's backed by real estate that you can actually return double-digit returns on. That means 10% or better. It's also IRA-friendly, and you can even reinvest those monthly distributions to create compound interest on your money, too. If you want to learn more about that, go check out securedinvestmentcorp.com. That's secured, S-E-C-U-R-E-D, investmentcorp.com. All right, guys. So I got a special guest here today, someone that I've followed for years. And finally, I thought, why not have him on this show? So really, really happy to be able to bring on Rabbi Daniel Lappin here. Now, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, if you haven't heard of him, he's written the book, Thou Shall Prosper, that I've quoted on the show several times. If you've listened and you tuned in long enough, you know, I've, I've come back to this book uh, from time to time. Uh, amazing, amazing man amazing teachings that we really support because we always teach that principles are first strategies are second principles are eternal. They never change while strategies can change with time and circumstances. I'll give you some background on him. Now he's a New York times bestselling author. He's been featured on things like rock, like Fox news and Glenn Beck, and also has his own radio show. He's also got a TV show with his wife that he has. I mean, he's been all over the place, uh, been featured as a financial expert and, and a guest expert in so many ways, shapes or form. But really excited to have him on today to be able to share with you his wisdom, the things that he's learned. So, Rabbi, welcome to our show. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. As you know, I've been looking forward to this opportunity, and I'm so pleased we're here today. Absolutely. Well, for those of us that haven't followed you up to this point, uh, give us a little of your backstory. Well, uh, (laughs) that's always a dangerous thing to ask a rabbi, you know, Um, and we have limited time. And I I like measuring a show in terms of its punchiness, in terms of its value nuggets per minute of show. So I I don't want to drain that in any way at all. I want to make sure that our audience gets maximum real practical strategic value from our time together. But um, but in a nutshell, I 
after a, a fair amount of time in the in the Jewish rabbinate, I found myself having written a book called America's Real War. And um, it was uh, essentially asking and answering the question of why is it that Western countries, we call them Western countries, and, and they're in sort of bad repute in, in the popular culture now and in the world of wokeness and political correctness. The West is evil because it was imperialistic and colonial, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, is it true that the West prospered on the backs of its colonies in Rhodesia and South Africa and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and Belgium's in the Congo and Germans in East Africa? Did all these countries and Sweden, well, Sweden didn't really have any colonies, but they also prospered and uh, France and Italy. You know, what's really going on? Is that true? And again, uh, the book did very, very well because um, it did some econometric analyses of, well, just on a simple basis, if that was really happening, if I am sucking out all your wealth, like some kind of vampire bat, leaving you just enough blood to sustain life so I can come back and take some more tomorrow, then when you get rid of me one way or another, you ought to really prosper. Your effectiveness should skyrocket meteorically because you no longer have this vampire bat sucking your blood. Well, it turns out that almost without exception, the former colonies' financial fortunes plummeted as the colonialists left. That didn't make any sense. And furthermore, once computers came along and people doing PhDs in economics began to flourish and desperately search for new areas to write dissertations on. One of the interesting ones was to apply very meticulous econometric analyses to the books of colonial companies like the Dutch East India Company and the British, the English East India Company, and uh, to discover that actually much more wealth was put in than taken out in terms of uh, actual cash you know, the building of railroads and the creation of infrastructure. These were all things that were done by the colonials wherever they were. So anyway, the, the book did very well, and I found myself being invited to speak for non-Jewish audiences. So for the first time in my life, this rabbi finds that he's speaking to audiences that are for the most part Christian rather than Jewish. And I enjoyed it very much, and I got to meet a whole lot of very interesting people, and I met a whole lot of pastor friends who, whose courage and leadership I grew to admire. And little by little, as people began to feel more comfortable with me, Chris, they began to ask a fundamental question, which got asked to me so many times that uh, I finally could no longer ignore it. Do you know what the question was? I could be completely wrong, but it would be, you know, why have the Jewish people prospered so much over time? That's exactly the question. You're 100% right. How come Jews are so disproportionately good with money? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it that with um, 1.5% of America's population being Jewish, that means that on the Forbes list of 400 richest Americans, statistically, there ought to be six Jews. Okay, fine. Margin of error, 10 Jews. But why are there always between 60 and 100? And yeah. eventually after I could ignore it no longer, 
I decided, you know, the only person who can legitimately explore that topic without fear of accusations of anti-Semitic bigotry. Oh, look at this man. He's saying Jews are rich, you know, perpetuating the uh, Shylock stereotype from the Merchant of Venice. No, not exactly. And so I decided to embark on that research, and I did. I mean, I obviously explored the usual suggestions as to why Jews are, you know, Jews are smart. Well, Mm. is smartness a parallel correlating phenomenon with financial success? In other words, are they uh, paralleled as intelligence goes up? Does income go up? Does revenue go up? Does business success go up? Actually, it doesn't. At the upper reaches, those people usually work on the faculties of major universities and being in the financial industry that, that you and I both are, we know that there are very few people who are less adept at finance than university professors. And so intelligence doesn't correlate. You know, mm-hmm. what is it? Is it that Jews are circumcised? Well, if that were so, I know many guys who'd prefer poverty. So it's a tough one. And I finally arrived at the solution. Astonishingly, it had nothing to do with being Jewish. And once I realized that, I realized that it was in everybody's interests, most of all mine, if everybody could be introduced to these qualities, because it's not a a finite pie. I don't do worse if everyone around me does better. In other words, you know, if, if I'm a plumber and I parachute into a new country to start a new life, would I like to live in a poor neighborhood or a neighborhood of very wealthy people? There's no question I'd like to be in a place where people can afford to pay for a plumber's services. In a very poor neighborhood, I'll starve because everyone will either leave the dripping faucet or solve it themselves, but nobody will use me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was my goal to um, encourage as many people as possible to employ the specific tips and tools and techniques that have worked so well for the people of Israel in good times and in bad and in hospitable, wonderful countries like the United States of America, as well in as vicious, oppressive regimes, um, Jews have routinely done disproportionately well with money. And once I discovered that I could condense all of that into 10 fundamental principles and then expand on them in a way that would allow anybody of any background or no background to practice those in their own life and to deploy those techniques for the benefit of increased revenue, I was up and running. I found my mission. Yeah. And I've noticed too, that this is something that's culturally, not just one group of Jewish people. It's been across the board. Um, I know my wife, uh, she's South American by birth. She of course has a lot of Sephardic Jewish background. And as she went through her family history, realized that they were in positions of power that of course, the Spanish Inquisition drove them out, and that's what got them to colonize and start establishing a lot of South America. And but still, they carried that with them, where many of them prospered even in South America, starting oh, yeah. over from scratch under. No, under threat it's an of excellent death. point. Yeah. You're right, absolutely. And some of them fled to Holland and mm-hmm. arrived penniless in Holland, and yeah. within not too many years, they were on top of their game again and uh, prospering mightily. Right. And of course, we encourage everybody to read the book because there's no way we can cover all of this in one show. But uh, you know, give us just a few of those principles. Because, and, and like I mentioned in the beginning, it's about principles versus strategies because the strategies are an extension of those principles being applied. What do you feel are some of the most important principles applied 
that have really worked over those years? Well, the important thing is, I take that back because sometimes people say, well, tell us the one most important rule for making money. Never just one. And I say, Do you, <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, <laughs> anyone would think you and I have prepped this show already. But no, of course, the most important thing about making money is to know there is no one most important thing. Yeah. And um, so I'm not going to take that approach at all. But there are important principles. And one of the important principles is to know the difference between a principle and a trick. I happen to like the art of magic and illusion and entertainment in that fashion. And, and, and those are tricks. And you, you kind of got to remember, right, that the person didn't actually get sword in half. They really, really didn't. It's a trick. Very, very well done, but it's a trick. You don't prosper in business with tricks. That's right. In other words, here's a way to pull a fast one on somebody. It's not how it works. Yes. And um, you will waste precious time discovering that on your own if you cannot bear to hear it from me. Mm -hmm. So authenticity is very important. But wait a moment. What happens if authentically deep down you're not a very nice person? (laughs) Well, then you have to change that. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'm not interested in morality or goodness. I'm interested in making money. Yeah, me too. And I'm showing you the right way. And that's one of the reasons that when I interviewed uh, many, many, many non-Jewish people, mostly Christian, but also some Muslims and some secular people of no faith as to their experiences in doing business with Jews, It was very important that I want to say the vast majority, it was definitely a majority, related how they had become friends with people, with Jews that they'd done business with, because they were not just business associates. They were also people you liked hanging out with. That's very important. I'll give you another example of, you know, authenticity. I was talking to somebody in a coaching session, trying to help him move forward. And um, had become clear to me that this person had an uncontrollable F twitch. He literally couldn't talk for more than, I want to say, 20 seconds at a time without dropping an F bomb. <laughs> and um, it wasn't offending my ears. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I did say to him at one point that we are going to have to work on that because that's a hindrance in business. It just is because most people wince when they have F-bombs flung at them and you don't need somebody you're proposing a deal to or somebody you're trying to work out a transaction with. You don't need them wincing. He said, uh, Rabbi Lappin, I'm not an idiot, you know. I don't do that when I'm talking to people in business. And I said, with all due respect, you are an idiot, you know, because there's something you obviously don't realize. And that is that you are so accustomed to it. He said, I don't drop it in. It never happens. I said, I believe you. But what you're not realizing is that your brain is a very fast computer, superior to any computer, but computations still take time. And that's why 
intelligence is a measure of your speed of processing, among other things. And it's one of the reasons that um, fighter jet pilots are all high intelligence people. Why can't they just people who've learned to be good at video games? And No, because if you don't learn and have the ability to process huge amounts of incoming data very quickly, you die. And so here's your problem. I know you don't drop an F-bomb, but what happens is that when you are in conversation with a business associate or prospect, and whereas in normal conversation, you at that point drop an F-bomb, your mind actually takes a finite moment of time to process out the F-bomb and substitute a more socially acceptable word. Now, from your angle, inside your brain, you don't notice that time gap, but I do. And so does anybody listening to you. We all hear a microscopic pause, and you know how we interpret it? Insincerity or lying. That's how. And so that's why you are an idiot, because you don't realize the importance of authenticity. You think you can fool people into believing that you are capable of a regular conversation that is courteous and respectful, but you can't because you're dropping hints all the time without realizing it. those little gaps. Anyway, that's an example of why authenticity is an important part of doing this effectively, because the thing you've got to realize, and I mean, you know, if I was interviewing you, Chris, I'd say, when did you realize this for the first time? I'm sorry that I took so long. I mean, I should have realized this when I was 15 years old. I didn't. You know, I was well into my 20s. And that is that money is made only when one human being serves another human being. Definitely. Now, it might be a corporation uh, providing insurance services to another corporation. But even that only happened because two executives sat over lunch one day and they said, why don't we try and see if there's a match with your need for insurance and our ability to provide coverage? That's why. And money only happens when money comes about when one human being serves another human being. That's the only time it happens. And when we choose who is going to serve us, we all choose people whom we know, we like, and we trust. That's right. And so it's important to know a lot of people. What happens if I'm an introvert? I just don't like hanging out with people. Well, exactly what happened when you were a teenager with pimply acne all over your face. You didn't say, oh, well, I'm just a pimply guy. You know, you spent the equivalent of the gross domestic product of some small country on pharmaceuticals to clear your complexion. Well, in the same way, being an introvert is like having a pimply face. you got to stop it. What rule is there that says that what you are is what you will be? We're not cats or cows or camels or kangaroos. We're human beings. And I certainly don't want to be judged on the basis of who I was 10 years ago. I'm better than I was 10 years ago. Right. And so it is. Uh, we have techniques to help you overcome introversion and to actually find joy and love and passion in meeting new friends and making new friends and, and building your social circle. 
and uh, being likable. So you, you are a liked person. That's important. And being trustworthy so that people, yeah, that's worthy. Now you work on all those things and you'll be astonished how your phone will keep ringing. Right. And still be authentic to you. Doesn't matter how introverted you are, you're still being you, just being the version of you that allows people to be able to be open and trust you, right? Precisely. Yeah. Now, I know one thing, we talk about this all in the show a lot about dollars following value and serving people, that it's it's really just evidence of serving people, solving problems, and giving them. One thing I remember from your book that stuck with me, that was a kind of a cool perspective, was how both sides of the transaction, both people are saying thank you. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yes. Ayn Rand uh, put it nicely. I think she once said, there are only two ways of making people do what you would like them to do. And one is with a gun and the other is with money. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure she's 100% right on that, but like many aphorisms, there's enough truth in it to warrant paying a few moments of attention to it. And the idea is that... um, If you have a dollar in your hand, and we now talk about how you got that dollar, I can almost sound like a mind reader, because I will say to you, look, if you did not point a gun at the convenience store clerk and empty his cash register, and if you didn't mug a little old lady and take her pocketbook, and you didn't defraud anybody, and you didn't elect a governmental representative who confiscated that money from your fellow citizens and gave it to you, if you didn't do any of these nasty enterprises, then the only way you have that dollar is because another human being voluntarily placed it in your bank account or in your fingers. Why would they have done that? Well, the only reason they would have done it voluntarily is because whatever it was you did for them in exchange, in goods or services, well, it was more valuable to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I buy a pair of shoes with lights that flash in the heels when I walk, and uh, let's say I spend $20 and I step out of the store and, um, you know, imagine a... uh, a refugee from Cuba has just swum ashore and he watches this transaction and he says, well, in Cuba, they told me that um, this guy um, has just been exploited by the evil store owner capitalist. And so I think I'll go over and help him. And as a new American, I want to help other Americans And so he comes over, taps me on the shoulder, and I'll spare us the dialect here, but our newly arrived Cuban immigrant says, hey, what's these new shoes you got? I just bought them. You like them? Yeah, good. How did you get them? Well, I gave $20 to that guy in this. Look, $20 for that? He exploited you. You don't realize that. What are you talking about? I've been searching for these for weeks. And what's more, he went down on his knees in front of me and took off my old shoes and put on these beautiful new shoes. And he asked me if I'm comfortable. And then he wished me a happy, have a a nice day. What are you talking about? He says, look, I'll prove it to you. You got ripped off here. I'm going to give you $10 for those shoes. And I say, buddy, 
you may have swum ashore here, but <laughs> you're still wet behind the ears. You've got a lot to learn. He says, you're not going to take $10 to get money for these useless shoes you just paid for? No, I'm not taking 10 He's all right, I'll give you $20. I said, no deal. I'm not interested. Why would I do that? I just would have to go and look for another pair of shoes in my size. He says, okay, how about I give you $30 for them? But now he's getting worried. And I say, well, $30, you know, Mrs. Lappin didn't raise dumb sons. So, you know, that sort of profit, it's approaching irresistible, but it's not quite there. So I say to him, look, I'll tell you what, give me $40 for them and I'll give them to you. Well, whether he takes my offer or not doesn't matter because the important thing is we have just right now established what the net value on my balance sheet is of this transaction I've just engaged in. It's true I, I lost $20, but I've gained something which is valued at 40 Now, I know that using gap accounting procedures, which was established by the SEC in order to standardize investment calculations on the stock exchange, gap accounting would be slightly different. But the reality of it is that I've just proven that its value to me is $40. I won't accept less than $40. So now we know its value. So I have benefited by $20 by buying these pair of shoes. Why wouldn't I be happy? Mm -hmm. So the Cuban runs to the store owner and he figures, well, he must have had it backwards. If he didn't exploit me, I must have exploited him. So he says to the store owner, come, I'm a big guy. I'll help you chase Lappin and we'll take your shoes back. Are you crazy? Why would I want to do that? I buy those shoes, you know, for argument's sake, let's just say the retail markup is 100%. I don't know what it is in the shoe industry, but I paid the wholesaler $10 for that pair of shoes. And now I've got $20 in my cash register. I'm as happy as could be. I don't want the shoes back. And our Cuban refugee walks away scratching his head saying, I've got a lot to learn. But yes, a financial transaction is how two human beings can please one another And from my perspective, if you don't mind me saying, makes God smile at the same time. Absolutely. I don't mind you saying that at all. I completely 100% agree. That's the funny thing is the one thing that the shoes aren't worth is 20 bucks (laughs) because it's obviously worth more than 20 bucks to you. And it was worth less than 20 bucks to him, which is why it was a win-win transaction. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. And you're exactly right. The one thing we know is it's not worth 20. Exactly. Well, this has been amazing. I, I want to I carry this conversation to a part two. And so, so we're going to close off for now, but I'd love to have a conversation again, talking more about how this, you know, just going deeper into some of these principles and even maybe a strategy or two that kind of, a, kind of ties in with this in today's market. Because there's a lot Certainly, of noise yes, in the market pleasure. today. A lot of people that aren't really giving information, they're just giving a lot of noise. And uh, as getting people all, all freaking out, either hot and bothered, excited, or they're panicking. And the truth is that these principles always govern. Like these are God-given eternal principles that have never changed. How do we stay peaceful during these times? So I'd love to do a part two on that. Yeah, with pleasure. So, all right. Well, everybody, this has been great. Stay tuned for part two and uh, make it a wonderful and prosperous week. We'll see you later. Visit us online at moneyripples.com for more resources to help you fix money leaks and get your money working harder for you now. Now.